0: The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Rogers News.
1: In an earlier edition of this podcast, I misstated the country journalist Jamal Khashoggi visited to get his papers for marriage. Saudi Arabia, a missing journalist, the global oil market, and Wall Street— These are the topics we'll be discussing on this week's edition of The Views Room, a weekly conversation among Breaking Views columnists about the ups and downs of the world of finance. I'm your host, Jennifer Saba. On October 2nd, Saudi journalist Jamal Khashoggi walked into a Saudi Arabian consulate in Turkey and has been missing ever since. Allegations of a gruesome murder have surfaced that threatens to plunge the United States, the Middle Eastern Kingdom, and Turkey into a diplomatic crisis that could have ramifications in the global oil market and beyond. So I have in the studio with me, Breaking View's U.S. editor, John Foley. Welcome, John. Hi. And on the line from Dallas is columnist Lauren Silva Laughlin. Hello, Lauren. Hello. All right. So this is a very uh, fluid story that's moving quite quickly about, you know, Jamal Khashoggi, who is this uh, prominent dissident journalist who had close ties to the Saudi um, royal family. He was a resident of the U.S. recently, and he was also a columnist with The Washington Post. He went to the Saudi consulate in Turkey to get some papers so he could get married. He has not been seen since. And now there are these really terrible allegations that he has been murdered and basically uh, shipped back to Saudi Arabia. Um, So all of this is kind of the backdrop you know, what's going on right now with the United States, Turkey Turkey, and Saudi Arabia and this, you know, kind of back and forth and trying to get to the truth. But but really what we want to discuss with you, Lauren, is this may have some pretty big implications for the global oil market. So why don't you just maybe first start off by telling us, you know, Saudi Arabia's role in, in oil and in OPEC and just where they kind of sit in that landscape? <laughs> Well, Saudi Arabia
0: is the world's largest exporter, and they make up about 12 percent of the global oil market. But really what we could do to kind of get a better picture of where we are today in the oil market is go back um, just a couple of weeks, which actually seems like ages ago at this point. But um, yeah, it, it really, you know, what's been shaking out in the in the global oil market has really changed maybe over the last couple of weeks to a month, um, where we've seen Donald Trump several times try to put pressure on OPEC to um, increase their production. Um, because oil prices have been going up, and a couple, they've been going up for a couple of reasons. One is that um, the U.S. has put sanctions on any country that um, does business with Iran, and therefore Iran's exports are falling, and that's pushing oil prices up. Okay. And, and the second thing is that um, U.S. producers are, who have been really changing the global oil market for the past couple of years have had it, have had some problems here in Texas. Um, and so that's created a shift in the oil market even before um, what's happened over the last you know week, say. Um, and now obviously you have this situation where, as you pointed out, you know a, a diplomatic um, ties are starting to sever. Uh, you've even seen situation in the US where senators are sort of going at odds with what, Um, Donald Trump seems to be doing. And um, Saudi Arabia's position in the oil market, especially given where oil prices are now, the sanctions in Iran and the troubles in the U.S., um, have given them a lot more control in terms of of, um, using their oil as a bartering chip.
1: Okay, so that's usually been the case with Saudi Arabia. Is is that true? I mean, at least, you know, going... Decades back, that you know, the United States has always sort of been walking this fine line with them because because of their power over oil. Um, but what I want you you to kind of explain, though, is how um, like, let's let's say that Congress somehow decides that they're going to slap some sanctions on Saudi Arabia of some sort. What kind of power do they have? Immediate power in terms of oil versus you know maybe forty years ago. Like how strong is it? kind of in the, in the if you look at the big picture? Um, well,
0: that's a really, it's a very good question. So like you said, for about 45, 45 years ago, um, Saudi did use its oil as a weapon um, and sort of take oil out of the market, which pushed up prices. So if you're thinking about the U.S., it's in, the U.S. is in a um, very different position now. We, um, in theory, are becoming this sort of uh, global energy powerhouse. We were actually meant to usurp um, Saudi Arabia as the world's largest exporter next year. Those were some estimates that came out of City um, earlier this spring. Um, the problem is that uh, in the U.S. in the Permian Basin, which is here in Texas, um, they've had trouble building pipelines, which are you know have enabled the oil to get out of the region. One of the reasons they've had trouble building those pipelines is because they can't get the steel, because of recent steel tariffs. Okay. And their inability to do that has made them um, sort of less of a powerhouse than people had thought. So the EIA, which is the energy agency here, has recently you know lowered its, its estimates for growth. Um, some drillers are stopping to are, are not expanding quite as quickly, um, and the oil prices in the U.S. are actually lower than the oil prices elsewhere, and in particular here in Texas. And that's made some of the firms uh, firms here less profitable than they they otherwise might have been. So the US, while it's in a much better position than it was, say, 40 years ago, um, it's not nearly in as strong a position as it it was just six months ago. And these issues in the market here probably won't clear up for another 18 months or longer. And from what I have been seeing, you know, those estimates for when these issues will clear up, start getting pushed back farther and farther. Um, When you look at the way, though, the senators say, think about these things, they're not necessarily thinking about them in terms of the nuances of the oil market. They take a much more sort of political line. And the line that they take, a sort of harsh line when it comes to um, sanctions on Saudi, for example, actually could have an effect to push oil prices up much higher.
1: Okay, so speaking of oil, I think now is probably a, a good time to bring in Aramco. Um, I've seen various reports, and I'm just going to say just out of the corner of my eye, Lauren, maybe you can kind of catch us up, and John, maybe you can jump in here too. Um, this is basically, uh, you know, the, the Saudi Arabia's oil fields and you know huge and they're looking to go public or, or put a piece of it in the uh, public markets and there's been a lot of um vying among wall street firms to get a piece of the action where are we right now on the Ar- aramco ipo um lauren where it because it, i've seen well, it, depends on who, yeah,
0: it. it depends on who you ask so um reuters colleagues on the news side did some excellent reporting um several weeks ago that said you know that this IPO has been pulled and and shelved and and that makes a lot of sense because of where oil prices are and um and you know the work that um we've done shows that the aramco is worth far less than what um what they seem to be thinking which was like
1: two trillion or something like that is what they were thinking yeah and the saudis
0: that's right um And I think the number is probably, you know, I don't, John, John may know better than I do too, because I think he did most of the work, but it's probably more like one and a half trillion. And that changes based on the oil price, which is sort of interesting when you're thinking about whether or not, um, sanctions on Saudi push the price up. I've read some estimates to say that U S sanctions on Saudi could push the price up to $150 a barrel, Hmm. um, which is, you know, close to twice as high as the prices right now. Um and that obviously would help an Aramco IPO because the higher oil is priced, then in theory the more valuable the reserves in Saudi are. Um of course, The irony there, I, of
2: course, though, Lauren, is that if you yeah. it makes Aramco more valuable because the oil price is higher, but it also makes it less attractive to invest in because Saudi basically becomes a pariah for putting up oil prices. So what makes right. the company valuable makes the stock offering basically toxic
0: well and there were investors investors. exactly precisely and there's and there was they they struggled to get investors um interested in their ipo maybe it was valuation before but i agree completely there's all sorts of reasons why (laughs) um investors may be hesitant to put money in saudi now ramco or otherwise
1: part of this is that next week there's going to be this huge event called davos in the desert that um the Saudis have put on, and it's kind of a, an achievement of uh, Prince Mohammed uh, bin Salman. Uh, and this is, you know, basically his way of trying to attract, you know, Wall Street, tech, you know, kind of big names to come into the country and invest. And it's kind of his way of saying, "Hey, we're we're trying to move past our image. We're a good place to invest." John, you've been following this pretty closely since you're you follow Wall Street, like. Yeah. To me it seems like an absolute no-brainer like obviously the the media companies aren't going New York Times for example and CNBC have pulled out of this conference but I would also think it would be a no-brainer for the investment banks and, and Wall Street types that are going there. So why don't you just kind of explain what is going well,
2: on? Well, Saudi has been a really interesting example of how Wall Street is motivated mostly by greed and fear. And it's greed because there are big companies potentially to do deals with and big fees to be had. And it's fear, not a fear of Saudi, but fear of missing out, fear that your rivals will get in first. So Aramco, the crown prince has been saying for, for years now that it's worth $2 trillion. That originally to us started ringing alarm bells because when a company does a listing on the stock market, there is a process. Yeah. The company goes to investors through bankers and they talk, you know, there are spreadsheets. They discuss what it could be worth as haggling. In this case, the prince said it's worth $2 trillion, and that was it. And that was a sign that this isn't a normal process. But banks have nonetheless kind of swarmed around Saudi Arabia, and the fees that it generates for investment banking activity are quite generous. So we pulled up some of the data uh, on this, and it looks like Saudi's generated about almost $250 million of investment banking fees this year so far, which is about twice the amount for the whole of last year. So for these banks, there is a great reason to, to, to ask how high when Prince... Um, Mohammed bin Salman asks you to jump. Yeah. The problem, though, of course, now is that this uh, controversy of Khashoggi has has made uh, made the calculus a bit different. So we we saw Jamie Dimon, the CEO of J P Morgan, drop out of this so-called desert, "Devils in the Desert" on Sunday night. Ford's chair, uh, chairman has dropped out. Uber's chief executive has dropped out. The CEOs of Blackstone and BlackRock have both dropped out. So the fear of missing out on getting into Saudi has turned into the fear of being the last one standing at this event because no one thinks they're going to look very good from this. But at the end of the day, the money is still going to come flowing out. And if the prince is still determined to do a $2 trillion IPO, which he says he is, uh, maybe in 2020 or 2021, I imagine that most of these banks will find a way to hold their nose and go back.
1: Yeah. Well, what's interesting to me is that they sort of taken the stand to begin with, because you know, banks just seem to do whatever is in their best interest. There's a situation where you have businesses leading um, before the government. And I don't know if I've ever seen that example. I mean, because usually what happens is the government slaps some sort of sanctions on, um, say, Russia or Iran, and then it, that sort of bars any business to be done there. Whereas it seems to be the flip that, that's happening. I mean, just a little bit that you see that they're kind of pulling out. That's of this totally conference.
2: right, I think. Normally, normally they can say, look, it's not our fault. We, we have to stop dealing with you because of sanctions because the government's telling yeah, us. Yeah, they have cover. Exactly. In this case, um, they're actually opting to do this. Now, you can you can be unkind about this and say, why were these institutions that in most cases, uh, pledge commitments to diversity to respecting their employees' uh, lifestyles and, you know, sexual orientation and so on, treating women the same as men? Why would they even be in Saudi Arabia? That's the kind of slightly unkind way of thinking about it. And whenever I've spoken to executives at Wall Street banks about this, which I have on a few occasions, they tend to say, listen, we if we feel the country's going in the right direction, we're, we're okay being there because we feel like we're making a positive difference. I think at this point, it's very hard for them to argue that in Saudi, and they've just reached a very interesting tipping point, which you're totally right. I haven't seen this before. I can't remember a time when Wall Street has taken the lead on an issue like this. So that is a really significant moment. The question is whether they can hold their nerve um, after things die down, which you know they may well do, and when big deals start surfacing again.
1: Okay, well, this doesn't seem to be dying down. In fact, it seems to be escalating uh, quite a bit. But Lauren, what do you think is next? At, at least in terms of oil, where do you think well, it's going?
0: <laughs> Saudi has oil, and the world, with um, Iran sanctions, the world need, needs more of it. And that is, you know, that means some reshuffling, possibly, with some really key players in this whole um, in this whole saga. Turkey, for example, um, has had currency problems; is having trouble affording its energy. Saudi's got got oil. You know, China yeah. gets most of its oil from Iran. Um, it probably can't do that anymore. Um, and then there's a question of Russia, who, you know, who is uh, not a member of OPEC but works very closely with OPEC, and a question with you know how they kind of fit into this whole um, into the whole situation. You know, we could see a lot of very interesting um, alliances kind of changing or reshuffling in the coming weeks.
1: Okay, so huge ramifications of uh, of this incident. So, um, Lauren, thank you for coming on the show. I'm sure we'll be talking about this in the coming weeks. And, John, thanks for joining me in the studio today.
2: Thanks for having me, Jen.
1: That's our show for this week. I'd like to thank my guests, John Foley and Lauren silva Laughlin, And hats off to our producers, Andrew D'Antonio and Freddie Joyner. And our final thanks go to you, our listeners, for tuning in. Check us out every day at BreakingViews.com and subscribe to the Views Room on iTunes. Don't forget to tune in next week for another edition.